Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good winter weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Every weekend, you'll hear from chefs and farmers, authors, travel experts, sommeliers, and tastemakers on this show who are all passionate about everything delicious. I'm also all about health and wellness, wine and trends, giving back and living the best life. And it's my goal to feed your soul. So do not touch your dial. I have an hour of scintillating conversation coming up and it starts right here and right now. I'm always serving up seconds, by the way, at chefjamie.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I hope you'll become a friend and a fan at Chef Jamie Gwen. And you can hear radio podcasts of shows you might have missed on iTunes. Just search Chef Jamie Gwen. Okay, so can we talk chili for a minute? Beef or pork? Beans or no beans? Tomatoes or no tomatoes? I actually believe that any kind of chili can be a winner. And whatever your preference is for America's most beloved stew, it's a flavorful, hearty, soul-comforting meal that is really satisfying on any winter night, right? But it's particularly apropos two Sundays from now for the big game, since it's easy to make in really large batches and everyone loves chili, right? That meaty, saucy chili that you top at my house with diced red onion, avocado, a dollop of sour cream, and a sprinkling of some salty cheese, it is a crowd favorite every time. And few dishes are more comforting or versatile than chili. Over the years, I have created chili recipes for every taste. Chicken chili, turkey chili, vegetarian chili, even a slow cooker version using a jar of salsa that I must say is pretty darn delicious. So I thought I would share with you what I've learned and what you'll need to know in order to prepare the ultimate flavorful filling chili. Now, meat, chili powder, chopped onion, spices, maybe some beans, Chili is an iconic American staple, and it is served everywhere today, from upscale restaurants to hot dog carts on the sidewalk. And everyone seems to have their own unique recipe that celebrates this seemingly humble dish. But I do wonder why people are so diehard about what chili should and shouldn't be. So here's what I know. There are some basic principles. When making chili, you need to brown the meat. Why? Because browning adds flavor. And I brown the meat in as small a cut as possible, in small quantities. So I will cube the beef, or if I'm using ground pork, break it up. And oftentimes I'll do it in two batches because I want good caramelization. Trust me, it makes a difference. You also must cook the aromatics. The onions, the vegetables, the tomato paste, the copious amounts of garlic. It should be deep in color and aromatic. Why? Because to build a savory base, you must build flavor. Now, you also need to add some sort of liquid. Could be 
broth or stock could be tomatoes with its juice. And why? Because when you simmer the meat, and if you choose beans gently, the meat doesn't get tough and the beans don't blow out, but you need enough liquid to cover or the chili turns out tough. And then you must determine your heat level when making chili. And remember, the seeds in the veins make a chili hot. So if you dice a jalapeno, it is going to permeate its heat. I happen to take the seeds in the veins out of a halved jalapeno. I think there's still enough heat left intrinsically. And I throw the two halves into my pot of chili. And then there's always some chili head that wants those halves in their bowl. Or I'll I'll go and dig them out before I serve the chili. But I like a subtle heat so that I can still taste the flavor of the ingredients. But let's dig a little bit deeper, shall we? While this soul-warming savory stew possesses some flavors that are reminiscent of Mexican cuisine, it is said that most food historians agree that the great American chili originated in the great heartland of Texas. Now, these days there are no shortage of different recipes for the dish. Uh, While many chili lovers are very set in their ways, as I mentioned, some of you more adventurous, open-minded, enlightened cooks and chefs may be willing to experiment with your ingredients just a bit, and you can give your chili an unexpected twist with these additions. And by the way, you can thank me later. Sweet potatoes. I love sweet potatoes, not only in a vegetarian chili, but in one with meat as well. They lend a natural sweetness that tempers heat. So if you like it hot, add a diced sweet potato. They also add contrasting texture and they tend to thicken a chili that might often turn out watery. If that's your recipe, well, then a sweet potato just saved you. It has this wonderful flavor and sweet potato and chili powder has this smoky, crazy good combination. And that kind of chili makes me want to like curl up with a blanket. Now, Balsamic vinegar in chili, you ask? Oh, yes. If you make a bland chili, by accident, of course, add a splash of balsamic vinegar, give it a few stirs, and serve. You have some on hand in the pantry already, but I have to say, the splash adds really bold acidity and it makes it come alive. Now, I believe beer belongs in chili. I actually believe beer belongs in lots of things. And while the culinary use of beer is on the rise, when you add or replace some of the liquid in your chili recipe with beer, not all of it, by the way, it will be um, unfortunately too tart or too bitter. I like a bit of beer and it tends to bring out the flavor of beef or sausage if you are a lover of both. So try it. You can find chili inspiration at chefjamie.com, of course. And in food news this week, I am taking the opportunity to applaud my comrades and industry friends, because if you didn't know, over the past few years, the renowned chef Jose Andres, who uh, my closest friends know I have a bit of a culinary crush on, 
Um, it's, it's not that I choose to date him. I respect his marriage. If he came to the door, I really just want him to come in and cook. His nonprofit has served millions of free meals after natural disasters, but they are tackling a new kind of crisis. They have headed to Washington and they are going to feed furloughed government workers and their families. Uh, Jose Andres made a promise. And so this past week, they opened a kitchen on Pennsylvania Avenue between the U.S. Capitol and the White House, and it is serving a rotating menu of free hot meals between 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. daily to federal workers with a valid ID, along with meals for workers to take home to their families. Kudos to you, Jose Andres. And God bless you, let me say. His small nonprofit group has taken up feeding the hungry um, all around the world now. And it was talked about that, whispered really, he was a potential nominee for a Nobel Peace Prize and it happened. It was confirmed he was nominated the restaurateur and humanitarian for the 2019 award. And that makes my heart warm. I will say. In addition, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley of KISS just announced this past week that they are offering free food to every TSA employee working without pay throughout the government shutdown at their family-friendly rock and brews restaurants nationwide. There are 17 locations across the country. And so thank you, chefs and restaurateurs. I applaud you for making a difference, and it is with great pride that I share your good work here on the radio. Okay, there's lots more good work to be done, so do not touch your dial. Coming up, nutrition expert and workout king, Marco Borges is here, and he's talking about the green print. He's all about a plant-based life, and he is so passionate, so stay tuned. Also, we are going to make glorious German dishes this hour, and before the close, Maggie Mistel is stopping by. She's CNN's career coach, and I'm proud to call her my friend, and she will feed your soul. Hold on to those 2019 resolutions because Maggie has some tips. Okay, there's lots more fabulous food coming up. So grab a snack and come on back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I'm glad you're listening. Don't go away. This is where informative, entertaining, and delicious information abounds. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I am really excited to introduce you to Marco Borges. You know him. He's the exercise physiologist who is all about wellness, and his plant-based program has been embraced by his clients, some of Hollywood's biggest names like J-Lo and Shakira, Ryan Seacrest, Beyonce, and Jay-Z. And his plan promises to help you lose up to 22 pounds in 22 days. But it's so much more than that. 
It's founded on the principle that it takes 21 days to break bad habits and form new ones. And his brand new book on the concept entitled Green Print is full of easy, vegan, gluten-free, soy-free recipes. He's here to share his insight. And it's very nice to meet you, Marco, and to have you here. Welcome. Great to meet you as well. Thank you. <laughs> Thank Thanks you. For having me. Yes, of course. All right. Uh, your name is the talk of the town. Um, there's no doubt that. Well, it is. You've you've made yourself, I will say, a popular name, and there's no doubt that there's lots of conversation about how one goes from maybe a carnivore or a, a less strict diet to a plan like yours to live well and prosper. So if you would, define it first. What is the green print? Well, the green print is a plant-based diet defined by you. And why I say a plant-based diet defined by you is because I'm sure you're familiar with the term vegan, and I am pretty sure you're familiar with the reaction that you see on people's faces whenever you see that word. Um, and whenever someone hears about um, you know this alternative lifestyle um, that some people call uh, veganism, they immediately say, oh, my God, I can't do that. It's too restrictive. I don't want to be a part of it. It's, that's a cult. That's just, There's so many negative connotations associated. So it's really a shame. Um, that and the fact that um, a vegan diet could basically consist of nachos and Oreos, and that is not necessarily healthy. So years ago, I decided that I would stay away from the word vegan because it tends to be quite polarizing, and I like to be a lot more inclusive, and I decided that I would go with the word plant-based because plant-based is exactly what it is. It's foods that are grown, um, you know, from a plant and not made in a plant. It's foods from the earth. Um, so a plant-based diet is really the absolute healthiest way that we could live. Studies have shown time and time again that a plant-based diet is the only diet on planet Earth that can not only prevent and arrest but also reverse heart disease. Right. And the more data that comes out, the more compelling the information is that will lead us to, to, to understand, to fully appreciate the benefits that is a plant-based diet. However, it doesn't have to be all or none. It's not black and white. Life is a bunch of shades of gray. And we don't want people to feel as if though maybe they're not ready to go all in today that they can't benefit from it. Because the reality is that even one plant-based meal a day can do your body, your mind, your future self, and right. the planet, a lot of good. Well, so the green print is exactly that. The green print is plant-based living defined by you. Is it one meal a day? Is it two meals a day? Is it three meals a day? Your choice is yours. Right. But the reality is, the more you lean towards plants, the greater the benefit. Every time we put something in our mouth, every time we eat, you're either fueling disease or feeding health. Marco, that's what I loved about reading your book, is that it's not cut and dry. It's not black and white to you. You say that you tailor it to fit your lifestyle, but you give us a map that will take us on a course to lead to an all vegan diet. So it's not like today is my last day of anything. It's more so these laws that you live by that take us to this ultimate place if you so choose to get there. So talk about some of the laws you live by. Well, yeah, that's exactly the idea, right? So the laws, and if you, if you look at, you know, the green print, the book is designed in a way where none of the laws are telling you not to eat anything. None of the laws are telling you, you know, stay away from all animal products. The laws are guiding you because 
they're helping you develop healthy habits. And these laws are not a restrictive diet, but rather a freeing, liberating system that allows you to live your best life with the tools you need to make it sustainable. So, for example, eat more plants and less of everything else, right? So, like, you know, when you think of something like that, you're like, oh, that's, that's pretty simple. Or you hear something like, you know, focus on what you can eat and not what you can't eat. Or, you know, perfection can be the, pro- the, you know, the enemy of progress. You know, far too often people think that, and you just said it, right, like today's the last day I'm going to eat this, or this will be my last cupcake ever. <laughs> the minute we start to think about that in very finite, uh, you know, uh, form, you already set yourself up for failure. Yes. Because you know that the minute that you don't eat perfect, you already feel like you failed. And look, the reality is no one ever became diabetic from eating one cookie. No one mm-hmm. ever gained 300 pounds from having a one bite donut. of a cupcake. Never. Right. It's that regret and remorse that sets in after you eat, have those meals or eat that one thing. And then the actions that perpetuate themselves thereafter. It's because we live in a society where we believe we have to be perfect. And if we're imperfect, then it's, yeah, it might as well be nothing. So the minute you have that donut, you throw your hands up in the air and you say, oh, forget it. All I is failed. lost. All is lost. I might as well have the other 11 donuts. (laughs) And, you know, while you won't gain 300 pounds from one donut, you certainly will from the mindset that follows. So, you know, we have to understand that we have to love ourselves first. We have to be kind to ourselves Mm. and to each other, but really importantly to ourselves, and be forgiving. You had a donut. No problem. Dust yourself off and keep it moving. Celebrate it. It's not a cheat. It's a treat. It's a treat, right. And you change that. When you change that mindset from I cheated to I treated, it's okay, right? Like, you don't go, you don't go and buy a new bag, uh, you know, I don't know, let's say your weakness is shoes. You don't go and buy a pair of shoes and say, oh, my God, I cheated. You say, I treated myself to a pair of shoes, right? You don't say, I, I cheated, that's it. I spent way too much money. I'm going to spend everything I have, and I'm just going to go bankrupt because <laughs> all is lost. You don't do that. No. So why would we do that with food and our health? No, and it's, it's, it's a very good mindful thought and approach to every choice we make in a day. I'm committing. How's that, Marco? You have my word that for the remainder of the month of January, I am committing to one plant-based meal a day to do my part for my own health, for my family, for the livelihood of the planet and the betterment of all of us. Your passion is infectious, there's no doubt. And I find the book fascinating. So congratulations to you. And thank you for sharing what you love and what you believe in, because I believe that that is the most powerful start. It's called The Green Print. It's a plant-based diet, best body, better world, a revolutionary lifestyle program that empowers you to consume more plants and to reap the myriad of benefits that plant-based living can provide. It is from Marco Borges, a leader in nutrition and exercise research. The book is available everywhere on Amazon and more. And you can follow Marco and his lifestyle at Green Print Project and at 22 Days Nutrition. Marco, I'm going to check back in with you after January, tell you how I'm feeling, how I'm doing, and um, I'd love to continue the conversation. I would love that as well. Thank you so much for your kindness. Thanks thank for the invitation. You. I hope you have a, a wonderful rest of your day. I thank you, and the same to you. As the delicious conversation continues, it is all about learning and growing here, and there is lots more fabulous food in your radio right after this. 
If you're flavor obsessed, well, then this is your show. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. There's a lot to love in Gerhild Fulson's first cookbook release from the founder of the award-winning blog Just Like Oma. German Meals at Oma's shares heartwarming dishes from her family table to yours. The cuisine of Germany has evolved as a national cuisine through centuries of social and political change with variations from region to region. And from spetzel to bratwurst and sauerkraut to schnitzel, your favorite authentic German recipes can be made right in your own kitchen. And Gerhild is here to show us how. I'm glad to have you. Welcome. Thank you. Yes. Glad to be here. Gerhild, the book is beautiful. I've had the uh, experience and the pleasure of traveling through the Baltics and looking at the photos brought back wonderful memories. It's a beautiful country with a lot of beautiful food. Yes, that it is. And um, Oma in German is grandma, right? You are an Oma? Yes, I am. Yes. I have three grandchildren. I love that. So tell us your family's culinary history, please. Culinary history? Well, uh, my husband and I, we both came over. Our parents brought us over as children to Canada. We we were born in Germany, but we were raised in Canada. We met and we were married 50 years ago this year. Congratulations. And wow. Thank you. Wow, yes. And <laughs> so we, we actually grew up in Canada as Canadians with the food that we had available here. But my Mutti loved to cook and she wanted to, um, and she wanted to cook the food that she knew that she grew up with. Mm. And it was difficult for her because over here in the 1950s, there was very little German food available, so she had to learn how to change the recipes that her mom had showed her using the non-German local ingredients. Okay, so let's make schnitzel before we travel Germany region <laughs> by region, please, because I love schnitzel. There is something so absolutely cozy and comforting about mm-hmm. schnitzel. I travel a lot, Gerhild, and I will tell you there's a German restaurant in mm-hmm. Oakland, California, outside of San Francisco. I happen to mm-hmm. stay at a hotel near there, and they know me because I will not eat anywhere else. I go for my plate of schnitzel with mm-hmm. the sauerkraut. I love the two mustards, uh, all uh, the pickles. I mean, those flavors are so endearing. Mm-hmm. So right. make schnitzel, if you would, for us, or teach us how. Well, you know, it's difficult because there are so many different kinds. Now, if you want to go traditional, you're going to have to go Austrian because it's Wiener schnitzel and it's veal. Now, we Germans, we do veal schnitzel as well. And actually, I believe there is a law that says if you have schnitzel on a recipe, uh, sorry, in a menu in Germany, it has to be veal. Hmm. Although, we often don't use veal. We use pork or chicken or even turkey. Right. And then the recipe or the menu has to say it's a pork schnitzel. It's a chicken schnitzel because schnitzel by itself has to be veal. So it has, so it to, has be to be specified. specified. Right. And Absolutely. Do you pound yourself? Do you use a mallet, the back of a saute pan? How do you do it? Depends on what I end up buying. Okay. Um, if I can buy the really nice ones all set to go, they're, they're fine. But I often, what I do to make it easier, I buy myself a thick boneless piece of um, pork chop yes and I and I butterfly it and then when mm-hmm. I butterfly it I cut it and cut it open so that it's almost like a book you yes. know what I mean by butterfly yes and then I pound it and then now I get my schnitzel and I pound it and I use a, a mallet not with the whole not with the little points on it to make holes in the meat but just to flatten it out mm-hmm. and that becomes my schnitzel and I said often chicken is used and in Germany turkey is used a lot turkey is 
you can, you buy turkey schnitzel there, you buy turkey parts there. We don't do that so much over here. How but interesting. But over there, it's very popular. Huh. Okay. And, and so that's what the schnitzel is. Schnitzel is known throughout Germany, but region by region, the cuisine varies. So um, can we talk about a few of your favorite places to eat? Um, in Berlin, which I was in, I saw lots of meatballs. Meat- meatballs? Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, lots and lots of meatballs, in fact. Is that a signature to the area? Yes, there is actually a dish called um, Königsberger Klopse, which mm-hmm. are from Königsberg, which is an area there in, Ger- in Berlin. And they make these meatballs that are so good. And it's actually found itself as the first recipe in my book. And it is uh, has a caper sauce. My mom always called it hollandaise sauce. And so for years, I used to call this these Königsberger Klepse. Klepse means meatballs. Königsberg is the place. The Königsberger Klepse with a hollandaise sauce until I was corrected that it was not a hollandaise sauce. <laughs> but my mom called it hollandaise. So for me, it is a, my mom's hollandaise sauce. Of course. And and that made it fancy and fabulous. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yes. And it, this is actually considered, they did a, a survey a couple of years ago, and it was considered the most common dish that is associated with Germany itself. And these meatballs, they are, they're they're very light. They're very, um, oh, just a very light uh, meatball. They're not a heavy meatball. They're very light. And that has to do with the way we use our, we add breads. Over here, we used to adding breadcrumbs to our ground meat in order Mm -hmm. to make meatloaf or meat hamburgers or something. Right. In Germany, instead, we use these our buns that are left over, so the brochen, you know, the really delicious buns that we have, they're left over. So the following day, you take that and you cut it into pieces and soak it in warm milk, mm. and then you wring it out, and then you add that to the meatloaf oh. uh, or to the, the meat mixture. Sure. And that creates a, a, a meatloaf mixture or a meatball mixture that is has a lighter, almost fluffy. I don't want to say fluffy, but it's a lighter texture. Yeah, it's very moist, of course. Yes. I make yes. meatloaf yes. that way, and those meatballs uh-huh. look beautiful. I oh, loved yes. learning that um, Spetzel comes from what is known as the sunny side of Germany. Okay. It, the, the Spetzel? Yes. The, ba- yes. Baden, where I'm going to d- d- bastardize <laughs> the name. Tell me the area. Baden-Württemberg. Okay. Baden-Württemberg. <laughs> Yes. Is where this uh, homemade egg noodle we know as Spetzel came to be? Yes, it is. Hmm. Yes. It's, it's just, it's very popular there. Interestingly, I grew up, sorry, my mother grew up in the Berlin area, which is more north. So I grew up with dishes that are northern, which okay. means very few noodles. Um, we oh. just knew potatoes. Potatoes, meat, and gravy, that was our, that was what we ate. A lot of sour cream and or mayonnaise, so we'd have potato salad with mayonnaise, we'd have mm. cucumber salad with uh, with sour cream. And you head southern Germany, which is the area of Baden-Württemberg, you end up having your noodles, your spetzel, you end up having potato salad without mayonnaise, you have your cucumber salad without sour cream. Mm. So there's this dividing line, I call it the mayo dividing line in Germany. <laughs> northern, we use mayonnaise, sour cream a lot, southern, not so much. And the spetzel, the noodles are down there. So I didn't grow up with them, so I had to learn how to make them here. 
and um, and, and they were interesting. They're they're fun little noodles to make. I yes. know my granddaughter loves making it too. Yes, and I have I love the texture and the mouth feel, and yes. there's something yes. uh, very prideful about making spetzel at home, and not as hard <laughs> as one thinks. And before I let you go, um, mm-hmm. one of the most traditional of all the vegetable dishes throughout Germany you talk about mm-hmm. is a sweet and sour cabbage, and Absolutely. I think it's a wonderful starting point to. Uh, have an entrance into German cuisine. You could serve it with a pork roast or with chicken mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Um, on, on a brunch buffet. Um, and there mm-hmm. is something wonderful about uh, the sweet sour to me. Yes, yes. It's almost like dessert. It is it's like, like dessert. A, you can eat it cold too. You're, I mean, we don't, but if there's leftovers and it's cold in a bowl, oh my goodness, it tastes good as well. I think of it like candy. I'm sorry. It's just to me, it's like, it's so good. Yes, and and very simply, it's made up of uh, sautéed onions and apple and red cabbage, and then it has all the goodness of red wine vinegar and orange juice, juniper berries, a little bit of sugar, and you add um, red currant jelly at the end, which is just so <laughs> smart. And again, there are various recipes for that. You can just go very, very simple without all that other stuff. You can just go your your red cabbage and your onions, preferably done in bacon. I mean, bacon always makes everything taste better. And the seasonings are pure salt, pepper, vinegar, and cloves. Mm. And that can be as simple as it is, and sugar, sorry, and, and some, just some regular sugar. And that can be as very simple as it is. And then you start adding the other stuff, your apples and whatever. Again, the regions are all different, and each traditional each person makes it traditionally the way that they're used to. And it's, you know, yeah, it's delicious. That's what makes it beautiful. I love that you share traditions and history. And the cookbook is so much so from your heart. And mm-hmm. um, I can feel it. So congratulations to you. And thank you for sharing your passion. Uh, continued success to you. After years of perfecting her recipes, Gerhild Fulsen has created an incredible collection that covers well-known dishes from Berlin to Hamburg and everywhere in between. It is called German Meals at Oma's. The book is available on Amazon and everywhere, getting rave reviews. And you can follow on social at Just Like Oma. Gerhild, G-E-R-H-I-L-D, along with Gerhild's blog, Just Like Oma, uh, just about everywhere, in fact. Gerhild, come back soon and share more German insight, will you please? I'd love to, Jamie. Thank you so much. I'd love to as well. Thank you. As the delicious conversation continues, spanning the globe and traveling for good food. There's more in your radio right after this. Better you? That's a good goal, right? Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, Feeding Your Soul. CNN dubbed Maggie Mistel one of the nation's best-known career coaches. 
With Maggie, you can soul search, research, and job search. She's a certified life purpose and career coach who has transformed the lives of her followers and her personal coaching clients with her motivational advice, and I am proud to call her my friend. She is a positive force in making good change and has been featured on NBC's Today Show, Fox Business, The New York Times, and more. And she's back because it's been too long to help us give us and fulfill the need to aspire to those 2019 goals. And so we're setting the year off right. I'm very glad to have you back, Maggie. Hi. Hi, Danny. Great to be back. Thank, <laughs> Thank you for you. having me. Okay. We're kicking off 2019. You have best strategies, but what do we do to ensure success? Because I want to start strong. You know that. I always aspire to. Absolutely. And yes. you do a great job of it. Well, thank you. Most days, <laughs> maybe some. Well, some days, definitely. Right. Well, your positivity really helps. And ad- yes. ad- attitude plays into it, into it. But sometimes our daily grind can get to us. And I think that's the challenge because we start off the new year so optimistic, right? The ball drops and we're happy about this new, exciting 365 days we have ahead of us. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? You know, five to seven days later, we're back at the same office, doing the same job, from the same computer, and it just kind of all dissipates. So what I tell people is one of the things you might want to plan for this year in terms of your resolution is to get out of the daily grind once a quarter. Mm -hmm. Like make it a habit where you're taking a long weekend escape, or you're doing a career-focused kind of retreat, or doing a conference, or a meetup, or even just connecting with old colleagues and having a lunch with them once in a while. You know, you'll really be in a better mindset if you can just refresh your brain, you yes. know, and get, get out of that daily grind. That's one, one step. I think there's so many components or levels to that. For me, I also look at it as something to look forward to. And that's motivating for me, right? Like the last Friday of the month, I'm going to use as a networking lunch. And uh, like you said, catch up with an old colleague or uh, make a concerted effort to follow through with that commitment to network or stay in touch. And then I look forward to it and I find myself uh, planning for it. And that positive momentum is definitely, for me, uh, very growth inspiring. It is because you see yourself accomplishing something. Yes. Right? Yes. It's like it's like why they say making your bed every morning is, is empowering because you've done something. <laughs> I love making my <laughs> you know, bed right every away. morning. Yes. Yeah, right. you feel look productive. No, look, exactly. Yes, I've started off the day right. Talk about retreats, if you would, because there are lots of opportunities. You have an upcoming retreat in Lisbon, which I loved reading about, but some of them are personally enriching. Some of them are career enriching. Some of them might be spa enriching, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the retreat is really as a, as a whether it's a destination spa, which I've done speeches at too, which is also exciting, or workshops, you know, it, there's a really this um, positive collision, right, um, of in the health and wellness space where people are taking care of themselves when they go on vacation, mm-hmm. right? And that's what the idea with these retreats. So you could be taking care of your body, your mind, uh, even your professional development, right, with career. And I'm excited in Lisbon, that's what we'll be doing. With that soul search research and job search process that you mentioned in the intro is what I'll be sharing um, with folks in a retreat setting in Lisbon, which, again, it's getting them out of their mind, their regular, you know, uh, experience, the daily grind, but also in a new city. I know I'm more adventurous when I travel. You know, so it's kind of combining the best of both worlds. So given your goals, whatever it is you want to improve, whether it's your health, whether it's your attitude, whether it's your relationships, whether it's your career, 
there's definitely a retreat out there for you. And I would definitely suggest people take a look because it can be a vacation that pays back dividends when you return to your regular life. And I think that's a testament to the fact that travel is enriching in so many ways. Um, In a blog post for 2019 kickoff, you talk about, and there was a quote, as you think, so shall you be. I thought that was really interesting. And that's a learning curve for me to carve out time you talk about to really uh, cultivate that next great move. You know what? If you want something to happen in your life, and we'll define you know, the ideal career and what they're looking to create, I say the catalyst is you. You have to be the one to start sharing this with other people because then they'll say, oh, Maggie's serious about this move. She's really thinking about this career change or she's really thinking about this promotion, you know, whether it's a boss or a colleague. You know, they, they really get this sense that, that you're serious. And then they say, okay, well, how can I help? Okay, I'm going to make today the ideal day. And then I'm going to start again tomorrow. I find, and I Absolutely. always, yes, I always have. I find you so inspirational, Maggie. And I love having you on this show. So will you come back next quarter, please? And we will continue to pursue our dreams, 2019 being the year. It will be my pleasure. And I'll, I'll support you. And, and we will not, it won't be a crack the whip. Hey, did you reach the goals? <laughs> No, it'll be an an ongoing process of self-discovery. And being that positive, supportive mindset, I'm happy to provide that. You do that so well, Jamie, for your listeners. I'm glad to contribute. Well, thank you. I'm grateful to have you as a contributor. Maggie Mistel's specialty is helping you make your visions a reality. So here's to achieving career dreams and goals in 2019. Maggie shares ways to make your New Year's career resolutions actually happen. Read the blog post, listen to her podcasts, and grow. Check it out at Maggie Mistel, maggiemistel.com. Follow her on social. You will be a better you. I can tell you that because I feel that just having her in my life. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of sipping and savoring and learning because this is where knowledge and inspiration is served up every weekend. I'll leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic inspiration for the hour. I'm big on beer lately. Did you know that beer is a brilliant marinade? It adds tremendous juiciness to chicken and fab flavor to beef. And I happen to love it on salmon as well. So for the big game, if you are planning to marinate, I mastered a new five-ingredient marinade this past week, and I just had to share. The longer you let chicken pieces soak it up, the better, by the way. It is what I call an orange pale ale marinade, and it's a 12-ounce bottle of lager or pale ale, the zest and juice of a couple of oranges, two tablespoons of olive oil, a tablespoon of soy sauce, a big garlic clove minced, and a pinch or a few pinches of red pepper flakes. I will post the recipe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram because it's a good one and you'll want to keep it. (laughs) Of course, become a friend and a fan at Chef Jamie Gwen. You'll find the orange pale ale marinade posted now. And please meet me here next weekend when there is lots more delicious conversation in your radio. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well.